0: On today's midcourt madness, Biggs, After two weeks of just a lot of upsets, we had sort of a weekend that went a lot according to chalk. Um, what do you think of this weekend, Biggs?
1: It was it was great. I mean, the, the the NCAA tournament always delivers, even if even if some of the games were were kind of duds. There were there were just enough like awesome ones that um, can't have any complaints. And now we're, and now we have we have four teams, John. There's four teams left
0: yeah and with that three games left it's sort of sad we're not gonna get into that too much um but we're gonna get into this week's action um right after this so bigs which uh which region do you want to recap first here
1: but, John, you mentioned you mentioned all the uh, you mentioned all the chalk uh, teams that teams that go according to chalk. Um, let's start with the chalkiest of the chalky teams uh, with Gonzaga, the undefeated Bulldogs, uh, seeking to seeking to capture uh, the first undefeated team since I should know this Indiana in seventy six. I know it's in the seventies.
0: Uh, continue on. I'll look that up though.
1: Neither of us were alive at that time. Just uh, just just for the audience <laughs> out there, uh, which probably know is because it's my mom and your friend. So both of those people should know that we weren't alive in the seventies, but I mean, Gonzaga, they're, they're going, they're shooting for an undefeated record here. And I don't see any way that the train is slowing down right now. They're just, they're a juggernaut. And I don't even know what to take away from it because they just, they kicked the living shit out of both the teams that they played. And I don't know. What's, what's your take on Gonzaga? They're, they're going for their two wins away from undefeated.
0: They did not. It was never in danger this week. It, it hasn't been danger in danger at all this tournament. You know that game against Creighton. Um, you know they built up a double digit lead so fast, kept it the entire first half, and then extended it in the second half. Um, you know they won by eighteen. I think they're up by they're in the twenties, I believe. And so the game was never close. Um, and then they basically did the same thing all over again against USC. They sort of USC got it back to about eight or nine in the second half, but the game never seemed like it was in danger for them. They, we talked last week about how they could have trouble with the size if they matched up with USC, but it simply didn't happen.
1: Yeah. Last week, I I remember we, we talked about, you know, which team, you know, assuming they were to get to an elite eight, which team between Oregon and USC would be the better, you know, quote unquote matchup for them. Uh, I said, Oregon, you had, you said USC. And I know we were talking, you know, off air prior to the game even before the Oregon USC game, I think, and, and I, I said, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of coming around to your your way of thinking here. I, I think I could see USC giving them a better game. And then you watch, and then you watch USC really have no problem dispatching Oregon. And I thought, okay, yep. This will be interesting. I mean, you've got the best, uh, know, most efficient offense in the country against a USC team that had the best, I think two point field goal defense in the country all season. So it's kind of a strength on strength matchup. Uh, it was a, a strength on strength, but, man, Gonzaga's offense was a whole lot stronger. They, there was just no problem. They just carved him up. I mean, it, it, did it look like they were even trying? No,
0: it didn't. And is it is weird because USC just dominated Oregon the round before. And, frankly, like we were talking about, or I was talking about how I thought it would be because of size. I feel like it's because of three-point shooting.
1: Yeah, USC. Well, USC's defense was was incredible. They they kind of busted out that zone, which they they don't play a lot. And, and you kind of wonder, it's like, why not? I mean, they're so big. I mean, they have, you know, their point guards kind of a little string bean type guy. But then they go six, seven, six, eight, six, eleven, seven foot with the other four guys, and it's like, man, you can you can kind of recreate kind of a Syracuse kind of thing there, where it's just arms and legs everywhere. And and you saw Oregon just had had it took them forever to kind of figure it out. And their offense was just in a, just in a bind the whole game until really late in the game. when they kind of made a push, but Mm -hmm. just, they kind of ran out of time. You know, it was just too little, too late. And and you're right. USC offensively was, was terrific shooting the ball in part, I think because of all the attention that those inside guys command. I mean, I don't think either of the Mobley brothers scored a, a ton in that game against Oregon, but how many wide open shots do they create? Because all the eyeballs are, are trying to clog up the paint. Um, Boy, I mean Gonzaga just looked like I mean USC. I don't think their I mean their offense wasn't great the other night, but man, I mean Gonzaga lo- made them look like a, a Division two team on the defensive end of the floor, and this is one of the best defensive teams in the country this season. Yeah, it's interesting
0: about Gonzaga, um, and I'm gonna steal something I heard today from uh, Titus and Tate because Titus was talking about he compared Gonzaga to. Um, he said he has a friend who's a hockey fan. Okay. And he goes. He asked this hockey fan, "What makes a good hockey player? Is it size? Is it speed? Is it you know placement of shots?" And the hockey the hockey player was like, "What are you, are you serious right now? Like it's basically everything." And Titus, that's not true. You don't think so.
1: No, great hockey players, A, the, 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 the easiest way to spot a good hockey player is with the mask or the helmet that they wear. If it's got a face shield, not a great hockey player. <laughs> great hockey players are the guys without the face shield on their mask. It's just a helmet with nothing, and they're usually missing teeth. Yeah, and so that act, that's actually the end of our first ever segment.
0: That's a hockey talk with Bigs and Smalls. <laughs> um, but back to it, Biggs, um, he compared that to Gonzaga. It's like, what makes them good? It's everything. They rebound well. They move without the ball well. They pass well. They shoot well. They, The players just know where to be at all times. And that was just an offensive clinic for them.
1: It was. And, I mean, you know, with with the the kind of golden state warriorization of basketball now where everybody's obsessed with the three-point line, and, and you know, we'll talk maybe about this a little later with, with Villanova in 2018, right? That was the last maybe great college basketball team that we've seen. It's only been a couple of years. But, but that Villanova team was was you know undeniably amazing and it was because they just overwhelmed teams from the three-point line right they had all these guys who could shoot and they just pile up threes on you Gonzaga is great offensively and it's not because they've got a bunch of snipers all over the floor that just space the floor like they they shoot it okay I think they shoot like 36 percent from the three-point line which is which is decent right I mean it's not it's not terrible but they kill people inside. They shoot sixty five percent. I was looking up the math on this. They shoot sixty five percent from inside the arc. I mean, that's just it is. It's it's their it's their cutting. It's their passing. They obviously have they benefit from the the threat of the three point shot from guys who can shoot it. But I mean, you just watch them. It's like how many layups do they get? Just because they're they're running circles around people.
0: Yeah, that's all they do. And and then they add that in. You know, Jalen Suggs is a great point guard. He just seems to know where to get the ball at all times. And then. Kisper didn't play shoot that well this match, no. um, but that even just shows how how good they are. Like they, he played like three of eleven shooting or something like that, um, and they still won by nineteen points.
1: That's the thing. I mean, Timmy Timmy went off early in the game. He he finished with like I think like twenty three points on I don't know like nineteen shots. I was looking at his stat line was not as good as I felt like he played at least early in the game, but. Yeah, you've got you've got Suggs who goes for 18, you know, like 10 and 7 or something like that. Like he he was terrific. Uh, Andrew Nemhard, the the Florida transfer point guard. That's another thing that, that can probably be not understated is they always have multiple high-quality ball handlers and, and shot creators on the floor at the same time with, you know, Nemhard gives them another kind of dimension with his ability to to kind of create and, you know, he's big too. I mean, he's a six, he's six five and you saw in the Creighton game where he would he kind of back guys into the paint and then finish over Finish over smaller guards. I mean, he he started like seventy games in his first two years at Florida. So I mean, you know, you're you're not looking at like a typical kid who's playing you know in the West Coast Conference starting a point guard. You got a two year SEC transfer guard. <clears throat> How many? I mean, and then and, and then Joel Ayayi, who you know averaged like twelve points and like seven rebounds and a couple of assists on the season. He'd be the best player on on a lot of teams. He's he's like a kind of forgotten guy. All of a sudden, you know, he pops off for 14 points or something. Yeah. They've just got so many options. It's like Kispert. You're right. The, the all American player of the year in the West coast conference is like a cherry on top in that game last night. Like he, he he gave them almost nothing. He didn't have to give him anything and they still went off.
0: Yeah. And I also just want to highlight, I don't know if you saw this. Jalen Suggs is actually two assists away from a triple double this game. He had 18 points, uh, 10 boards and eight assists. So just, a great performance um, yeah like i said just gets his players in the right spot ready to score
1: yeah Definitely and he, and he's kind of one of those guys that he's obviously you know everybody talks about how he's you know he's their best nba prospect and you know he's he's going to be a super high draft pick he's the five star freshman he's the you know he's the hot name and he's had and he's had some really big moments in some of their big games i know against like iowa he he was pretty dominant and in a couple other games he's been he's been really really good He's another one, though, like in the first couple games in the tournament, he, he actually really didn't even do a ton because they have so many other guys. It's like he doesn't have to nobody in Gonzaga has to feel like they have to take over the game or force things. You know what I mean? Like you watch Oklahoma play and Austin Reeves is like, if I don't go score 20 points and control this game myself, we're screwed. You know, and there's some and there's teams like that, like, uh, um you know, think USC even, like Mobley. He's, he's got to dominate for them, for them to have a chance. Gonzaga doesn't have a single player like that.
0: Yeah, and it's actually interesting when, like, leading up to when they're announcing the All-American teams, like, I think it was sort of assumed that uh, Kispert would be on it, but, like, it's tough. In a weird way, Like, you could put multiple ones on there. You could put none on there because, like, no one is, like, individually just carrying that team. It's a team effort, and this team is being talked about as one of the greatest teams of all time, Bigs.
1: Yeah, I guess from yeah, we 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 kind of focus on kind of the micro in this individual game, maybe this individual tournament. We haven't really zoomed out and looked from kind of a macro perspective. That that's getting thrown around there, right? And if this team if this team is able to close the deal here, win the next two, um, where do you where do you put them in terms of what you think is you know, greatest of all time? And obviously, we haven't seen teams from the from the '60s and '70s and some of those amazing UCLA teams back in the day. But how about let's just talk about like modern history so maybe since 2000 like where where's gonzaga stack up in terms of best teams ever some teams that jump out
0: to mind one and this just because i listen to north carolina podcast would be the 2009 team with lawson ellington danny green um tyler hansborough <sighs> i think they could match up they have more shooting uh, considering they play more of a small ball lineup it'd be Curious to see how they'd match up on the boards against that team. Um, Another one would be the Kentucky team of the 15 with Anthony Davis, 2015.
1: Anthony Davis was 2012. The 2015 team was was like Paul Towns and and Booker and the Harrison brothers. But yeah, so it's just a different
0: roster construction than that Kentucky team or Duke from 2015 also with uh, Ty Jones, Jalil Okafor different roster construction. Um, I mean, I could see them competing with all those teams though.
1: Yeah, I would agree. The 2018 Nova team is another one that kind of comes to mind as just kind of a, a pure, we're, we're just going to pile up three pointers on you and good luck keeping up kind of thing. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. That 09 Carolina team was, was absolutely amazing. And they were, they were dominant as good a college team as I've ever seen. Um, that 2015 Kentucky team still, they didn't even win the title, but Oh my goodness was that team. That team was special, you know? Um, but that that's an interesting kind of conversation, right? I mean, does this, you know, when you're talking about a team, like little old Gonzaga, you know, 20 years ago was this, you know, was was kind of the Cinderella darling cute team and they've kind of transcended Now they're, they, they are firmly at the the big boy table, with with some of these blue blood programs and, and an undefeated does an undefeated season send them into another another tier or are they kind of already there you think the
0: blue blood is such a weird term to start with i don't um, obsess and, over it yeah it gets a little i know um as far as like yeah if they win a title they'll be up in that discussion with them um that's sort of their last thing you know they've been in one final four before this lost to uh north carolina in the 2017 championship um, but yeah, a title would definitely put them in there. And speaking of Blue Bloods, Biggs, um, the next team we're going to talk about is a team that is a Blue Blood. And we didn't think after, say, the first week and that there would be a Blue Blood in this year's Final Four. But that team is UCLA. This team's, can you call them a Cinderella if they're a Blue
1: Blood? Yeah, isn't that it's something weird that the plucky 11-seeded UCLA getting to the uh, getting to the Final Four feels a little odd, doesn't it? You know they 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 showed the graphic here the other night about eleven seeds get the final four and you've got you know George Mason, uh, you've got Loyola Chicago, you've got VCU, and then you've got UCLA. Uh, something a little funny about that, huh? <laughs> yep.
0: Um, but no, it's been interesting because UCLA, for as good of the team as they have, is missing a lot of pieces. Jalen Hill, a six ten forward, as far as as well as Chris Smith, a six nine guard. Both injured very early on this year. Arguably, you know, two of their better players on the team. And they also had a tr- uh, commitments that decided to go the G League route. I can't remember his name. You might know. Dacian Nix. Dacian Nix. Okay. And so they missed out on him as well. But Johnny Juzang, who is a Kentucky transfer, you know, Coach Calipari sure wishes he had him, has just went nuts this tournament.
1: Yeah. To, to your point about Chris Smith and Jalen Hill, the two guys that are out, you know, people... Not necessarily forgotten because it feels like they're getting mentioned a lot now. I mean, Chris Smith averaged 13 points and five and a half boards last year was their leading score. Jalen Hill was their number two guy. He averaged nine points and seven rebounds, led the team in blocks. So I mean these guys are two starters, you'd think, um, for for UCLA last year and were, were considered, you know, key pieces of of what should have been a team this year. And, and Chris Smith was leading the team in scoring, I know, before he went down. And and you're right, Juzang has has stepped up in just a huge way. I mean, he's been. I mean, you're talking like an all – I don't know. I know they don't do like an all-tournament team, but how, how does Juzang – he's got to be uh, – he's been incredible. I mean, he's averaging over 20 a game, and, I mean, last night he had over half the team's points. He had 28 points in a – you know, in, in just a slow, grinded-out slugfest of a game. He's the only guy that can get a shot off, the only guy that can make a shot. He's he's taking his game to another level, and and I know he – you know didn't play for Kentucky a ton as a freshman he was he was one of those guys I believe who kind of reclassified um so he should have been like he's like young for his for his uh for his age so he, he reclassed and he wasn't like I mean I think he was like a five-star prospect but I don't think he was like a surefire everyone expects this guy to be like you know the number one pick or something type guy so like generally it takes those guys a little while so you can you can kind of see where Calipari wouldn't play him, but. Did he, get, did he get this good over, over one year? I mean, it's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? I mean, a guy who couldn't get off the floor for a Kentucky team that was like, you know, good last year, but not great. And what's the problem with Kentucky every single year? We don't have any shooting. They have too uh, many
0: players. And, like, I think he gets to UCLA and he oh, – what's the word? Empower? He feels more empowered to just go out and shoot and try and take over the game. At Kentucky, he's surrounded by five other five-star prospects, and he's just lost in the mud. But he goes to UCLA, he's – Their most talented player, so he's going to shoot the ball.
1: Yeah, that's true, and you and you definitely see them run a lot of actions. I mean, Mick Cronin, their their continuity offense is pretty solid, but you see them run a lot of sets designed to get him to get him the ball. Right, he's coming off a ton of screens where he can where he can catch the ball and you know elevate and shoot and finish. And, And I know at Kentucky, you know they just you know Calipari, I think is you Hear this a lot on other on other places where they talk about how Calipari is probably more a little too married to maybe some of his five star one and done guys, and he's too busy maybe hyping up some of those guys trying to get their stocks higher and not worrying enough about maybe his college team winning. um More power to him, but man, you're losing a guy like Johnny Juzang that that burns a little bit, and he would look good on a on a on a trash ass Kentucky team this year. He's been amazing. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just he's been so good. And I mean, last night against a, a really good Michigan team, he he takes off and. Like I said, goes for 28. Did the same thing against Michigan State. Really, almost single-handedly, it felt like getting them into the tournament. Kind of remember, they were dead in the water against Michigan State. Weren't they down by like 15 in their very first game in the play-in game? I know they're down late, Yeah, I don't
0: know if it's up 15 for sure. And yeah, we talked about that game, and we're deciding which team could be that team to make it out of the first weekend because it seems to happen more often than not. And we sort of decided neither one of those teams because, you know, they're going to have to play Texas, or we didn't think they'd beat Texas. And to our credit, we were right; they did not beat Texas.
1: It's true, we were right.
0: yeah, they did not beat Texas. They beat Abilene Christian, so we did predict that correctly.
1: A school from Texas, yes.
0: <laughs> but then they just continue on. They play. Uh, they play Alabama. Who did they? Yeah, they play Alabama, and that right. was an exciting game. We got to talk about that one because that was excellent. Should Mick Cronin have fouled up three? What do you think?
1: Obviously not. They won. No, I have no idea. I know Cronin. They they talk about that Cronin is a proponent of fouling when up three, and that's become kind of the a new kind of analytics uh, hot topic, right? If do you know anything about basketball? Like, do you foul when you're up three? It's kind of like do you bet on uh, do you do you hit on fifteen when you're playing blackjack? Is it fifteen or is it sixteen? I forget. And, uh, uh, I never know because I hate playing blackjack because I suck at it. <laughs> I'd rather spend what little money I have on food. So, there's that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, even if they should have, even if they weren't going to foul when up three, which I guess I'm not like, I don't know. I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna throw the flamethrower at the guy for not coming in the foul when they're up three. Um, you know, when there's like three seconds left. But boy, they they defended it terribly. I mean, the kid had a walk in a walk in like twenty seven foot three pointer. I mean, he just he just stepped right into it. The guy who was who was supposed to be guarding him was nowhere to be seen. It was like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why do we have anybody inside the three point line when we're up three points with less than five seconds left is, is beyond me. You know, I I don't really get it. How the guy got the ball in the middle of the floor. Like that was pretty bad defense. Um, I don't know. Do you think he should have fouled? I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020 and they, they came back and won the game, but you know, there's a, there's another alternate universe where that takes the complete wind out of their sails and they get blown out in overtime because Juzang fouled out with like two and a half minutes to go in regulation you knock down a three-pointer like that, you go to overtime and it's like, man, we're fucked. You know, the better team, the better team's going to overtime and they're like, we got new life, let's end this thing. And that didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Um, as far as your question about whether or not, it's so tough to say, like, people always say, oh, you should foul because then, you know, two free throws, blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows the story. Yep. But the other side of that is the offense knows that they're thinking that. And especially when, you're, I think they inbounded with what, four seconds left? Yeah. It's tough to get a foul in with a guy going full blow. And if you do, he he's going to be trying to get up a shot anyways. Now, yeah. the flip side of that obviously is UCLA, or not UCLA, Alabama was terrible on free throws. Atrocious. Absolutely awful. So it's almost like you probably still would have been fine. Um, So it's tough. I would say in that situation, it's tough in four seconds to do that. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hat a piece. Let's not talk about it. Right. Um, but the more interesting part, Biggs, is if I remember correctly, Zhang fouled out late in regulation, correct?
1: Yeah, he fouled out with like two and a half minutes to go. Yeah. And so with
0: that, as well as the momentum Alabama picked up from hitting that buzzer beater, I mean, I thought UCLA was dead in the water, but then not out of nowhere, but your boy Jaime, Jaime Jaquez just dominated that overtime.
1: Coming up clutch. That's all he does. Jaime Haquez. He was uh, he was invisible yesterday. Used up all of his shots in that Sweet 16 game, getting them the Elite Eight. Uh, he he's been terrific. I mean, really, UCLA plays what like six and a half guys. They basically play their starting five and then maybe like one bench guy. But I mean, these guys are logging pretty big minutes. Uh, and and Jaquez has been he's been terrific. I mean, he, he's just he's been great. They've all they've all kind of there. There isn't really a zero in their starting five. They don't have like a weakness, a really bad player that you can be like, man, they they can get exposed everybody's just kind of stepped it up and, and Jaquez has, he's had a, as, you know, Juzang's been, been kind of the, the go-to story for them, right? I mean, he's been amazing. Hawkeyes has sure had his, his fair share of, of big moments as well.
0: Yep. And then you add in the best hair in college basketball, Tiger Campbell. I found it interesting last night. They're he had some floaters over, um, like Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> yeah. They're a big man. And they're just amazed by it. Well, I feel like, with that hair tire, Campbell has to be at least six, nine.
1: That's true. A six, nine guy scoring over a seven footer is really not that big a deal. Right. Um, you know, so you're right. I mean, it's he's not, he's not undersized. He's not, but is he, but is he less tough then too? Is he left? Is he less gritty? You don't hear six, nine guys being you know tough and gritty. True. I 11 guard. There's, there's something heroic about those guys. Those little, those little short guys. You're right though. If he's six, nine, uh, now he's just another Titan out there.
0: Yes, that's right. Um, Let's see. What else do I want to touch on? Uh, Michigan. Did we write them off too soon? They did have an impressive run. We or I should say, did I write them off too soon? I don't know if you were quite on the bandwagon with me, um, but they had an impressive run those first three rounds, especially that game is Florida state. I don't know what got into Florida state, but they just were not good.
1: Yeah. Michigan's just better. You know, I mean, I, I think I picked Florida state. I actually think I picked Michigan to lose in the second round, but in hindsight, you know, and when you kind of when you reconstruct this thing, you know, backwards, you know, I know the Isaiah Livers injury is you know a, a good talking point for them. And when anytime you take one of your better players out of the rotation, it's like, all right, you, you expect to step back. You, you start looking at their team though, and it's like they're really good. You know, one guy doesn't make Michigan great. It's not. I think I said this before. It's not like Iowa where Luka Garza is the reason Iowa was was really good. You know, it's not. Uh, it's not like. USC where Mobley is the reason they're, they're really good. You know, it's not, they don't have just one guy. They've got a lot of really good players. They got a lot of kind of BB B plus guys, you know, you take away livers and and other guys are capable of stepping up. Shawnee Brown, he averaged double figures for the last two years playing in the ACC at Wake Forest. I know Wake Forest kind of sucks, but like the guy, the guy was pretty productive. So it's not like he's just some random two-star recruit bench guy who's just never, who's, you know, shit his pants the second he has to play big minutes in a major college basketball game. They had pieces and, Boy, I mean, they're uh, they're just an absolute atrocious shooting night away from probably being in a Final Four, and, and I tend to think they would have probably given Gonzaga. I think that game would have been a little more competitive than, than I expect a UCLA game to be, but we keep hating on UCLA and expecting them to lose at some point, and the water just keeps not finding its level. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Michigan, what a run. I mean, getting to the Elite Eight, I don't remember where they were picked in the preseason to finish, but I know they were not a ranked team in the preseason for whatever that's worth. They were kind of one of those – I think they were kind of in like that receiving votes category where, if you know, if you rank 35 teams, they're probably ranked, but they weren't ranked in the top 25 and, and they were awesome. And, and they were definitely the big 10's best chance to win a title, which is, which is kind of funny that we go yet another season where we're talking about how there's, you know, that there's 12 teams that from the, from the big 10 that can get into the tournament. And then, you know, one gets to the, the elite eight, one gets out of the first weekend and they get upset by an 11 seed. <laughs> yeah.
0: And one performance I did want to highlight from uh, that Florida State game um, against Michigan, Um, Brandon Johns, who I think is the one who basically replaced Isaiah Livers in the starting lineup. And Livers, we talked about last week how averaging 13 points a game and they haven't really done it with one particular player replacing those points. Well, he almost did this game. He averages about four points per game. He had 14 against Florida State, so he played very well. Did not play as well against UCLA, but did play very well to get them into that elite a matchup
1: does john's count as a first name i mean i know john is a first name is john's count as a first name i'm going with a no on that one okay so he doesn't have two first names (laughs) so we can trust
0: him we can trust him except we couldn't trust him last night
1: no i couldn't trust anybody i mean how about that how about late late game situation for michigan or, or, or wagner gets I mean, that three-pointer that he had with, like, 20 seconds left on the clock, whatever it was, like, the third-to-last decent look they got, that was as good a look as you're going to get late in the game, right? I mean – And he just seemed off the whole night. Well, he was – yeah, he was brutal. I mean, he went 1-10 from the field or something like that. I mean, that three-pointer was – you know, it's it's like an NBA-range three-pointer, and he just airballs it short. It's like, man, you you can't want a better shot than that. Your best player getting the shot on the line, and he just – foot too short. And then,
0: what do you Amazing. think? What do you think about uh, Mike Smith pulling up for three instead of driving it? The- I
1: I didn't like it. You know, when I was when I was watching in real time, I thought, why not try to take one more dribble, hammer your way to the paint, and like draw a foul? Because let's be honest, the refs are probably going to give you a foul call if you mm-hmm. if you crash in there and try to try to draw contact. Um, I know Campbell. When you look at when you look back again, Campbell is like in a dead sprint, basically. Yep. Please shoot the, please shoot the Russell Westbrook run in kind of three pointer. Like I'm not giving you the lane. Um, I don't know. I haven't, I didn't watch it over enough times to really like form a, another opinion on it and really feel one strong way or another good three pointer. I mean, wide, wide open shot. It's you know, it's not an easy shot cause he's, cause he's basically going full speed into a, into a three, but I mean, a makeable look and the kid, the kid wasn't really contested, but I don't know. Do you, do you think he should have, do you think he should have tried to hammer his way to the rim?
0: I love going for the win there. I really do. Of course you do. Of course I you do. You're such a
1: millennial.
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. We're going to move on to the next one. But first, bigs. I do have have a little trivia question. It's topical for, for this region in particular. Ooh. So obviously UCLA made it as a double-digit seed, number 11. Yep. There have been five other double-digit seeds
1: to make the final four. Name them. Five other double-digit seeds. Okay. Well, we know Loyola Chicago just recently did it, 2018. Yep. Uh, we know VCU did it in 2011. That is correct. We know George Mason did it in, I don't know, 2006? That is perfect. Wow. All right. I'm trying to think of any more in recent years. There's one that's recent years. There's one from the 80s. Okay. The '80s one I'm not gonna have uh, as great a chance on. I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, Can you give me like a? Can you give me like a year? 2016.
0: And as a, a oh, Syracuse time. has yep. a 10 seed.
1: Yep, that is correct. And In the, the '80s, I don't know. I'm trying to think of the teams that won. What, what team won the title the year that uh, was it? Was it the year Villanova beat Georgetown? Yeah, well, Louisville won it. Louisville won it. All right. Um, I have no clue. LSU, 86. Was that Shaq? Uh, no. shack was Shaq drafted?
0: No, Shaq was drafted like 96 or something like that.
1: Man, he's that young, huh?
0: Let's see who I can come up with on their team. Derek Taylor. Whoa, this is interesting. Their head coach, Dale Brown. Oh, okay. Who went to college at Minot State in our, our home state of Mid, uh, North Dakota.
1: Oh, okay. Is North Dakota like Minnesota, where if he's from North Dakota, we have to kind of root for him? Yes. Because if so, um, I'm the biggest Dale Brown
0: fan. We're officially LSU basketball fans.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's my yeah. team. Okay. Perfect. Gold Tigers.
0: Um, so, which one do you want to look at next, Biggs? Uh let's look at the let's look at the Baylor region. The Baylor region, you say? And let's see. They had a little trouble that first game. I would sh- should say trouble. They were down at the end of halftime, but then they just, I wouldn't say dominated, but they were. They were able to hold Robinson Earl in check. Your boy, the guy you selected to your team last week, they held him in check. How, how does that make you feel? Yeah, he was quiet.
1: I think he had, I think he had like eight points or something like that. And I mean, you, you saw like the first half was if you could like, if, if you could draw up basically the perfect script for how Villanova wanted to play and if they were going to have any chance to beat Baylor, it was exactly what they did in the first half, which is keep the possessions to an absolute minimum, basically morph into Virginia right? Play extremely slow. Don't turn the ball over. Give Baylor no chances. Make it really tough on them in the half court and, and just basically grind out every single possession like it's the last possession of the game. And and, and it's just like they, they were going to run out of juice. They just didn't have enough talent. You know, you take away Gillespie from that team and they had enough talent to, to get to the Sweet 16, which is pretty impressive. They had enough talent maybe to get uh, you know, play with them for about 20 minutes, but you just knew once Baylor kind of got the juices flowing there in the second half, it was like, they just weren't gonna, Villanova just didn't have enough. And, and that was, and that was kind of one of those, I think you, you asked me, you know, is there a, is there a moment where, you know, every team it seems like that wins a championship has kind of one of those gut check wins where they, where they really have to, like, nothing is, nothing is easy for them and they just have to kind of find a way, you know, that old cliche. Um, it felt like that might've been that game because they really didn't have a ton of trouble with Arkansas. they, you know, they got out to a huge lead and then kind of held off a, held back a little comeback. Um, but that Villanova game was not easy for like thirty-two minutes and they had to kind of they had to kind of turn it on.
0: Yeah. And so yeah, Baylor basically took it over again, took the game over at about the ten minute mark. Um, and they just had more star power. It would have been interesting to see how this game would have played out with Colin Gillespie in it. But yeah, unfortunately he was not there. Um and they really won this game on the turnover side. They had a turnover advantage of 10 and so that's really where they won this game um davion mitchell like we always say is just a beast on the defensive end we'll get we can talk about it basically every game how good he is on defense um and they ended up playing arkansas who narrowly escaped against oral roberts and i mean by the thinnest of margins um max a. Smith had a game-winning attempt that was just centimeters away like if he makes that that is played every single march madness like they have like the montage of highlights and game winners you think of like christian leitner you think of luke may he would have been included on that
1: yeah that would have had uh that would have had like a one shining moment just all over it they would have just shown that highlight over and over and over again to the entire time to the song of one shining moment it would have been uh It would have been quite a moment. I mean, it was, it was like an inch short. I thought it was going in when you were watching it, you know, in in real time. I was like, wow, that, and, and, uh, yeah, just missed by an inch. But, um, you know, back, back on Baylor, it just seems like when they, Gonzaga has not had one of those games yet, right? The one that we're talking about where they, where they have to kind of gut check, um, I tend to, I still think Baylor's the, I've thought they're the best team in the country all season. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if I've been really stupid all season long. And Gonzaga is actually a lot better, but if Baylor plays to its ceiling, are they, are they good enough to be Gonzaga? We we keep trying to find a worthy challenger and it just feels like we keep not finding one. Uh, is Baylor the worthy challenger?
0: Yes. And I think that game against Arkansas proved it. You know, they jumped out, I think they are up by about 15. In no time. In no time. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um. Very fun game to watch. You know, Arkansas mounted a few comebacks. Couldn't get it past that five to six point margin. Um, it's sort of a weird thing. J.D. Notay fouled out with, what, 13, 14 minutes left in the game?
1: Yeah, muscles just like, you're, you're playing until you run out of these fouls. I don't really care. I'm not sitting you. Um, I kind of like it because I'm just, you know, it's kind of like a, I feel like that's kind of like that. Uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of all football coaches just like always going for it on fourth down. So it's like you know what we're not going to, we can't take these punts with us when we lose the game. So we're just going to go down swinging. Um, maybe not the best when one of your top scorers falls out with 13 minutes to go. But you know when you're losing like that, you need you need scores on the floor, and you're just going to use them for as long as you got them. I, I kind of like it. Moses Moody was terrible. Your guy Moses Moody in that game, he had a rough. Uh, Boy had a rough region. I think he went 4-20 uh, against Oral Roberts, and then he, he really just – boy, he had a couple of really good looks and just couldn't quite uh, – couldn't make a shot against Baylor. And, and Baylor Baylor defensively will do that. When they, when they load up defensively and they lock in, I mean, they're – I think they can – I think they get a little bored. I don't know. Watching them play, I feel like they get a little bored and their guards get a little bit like <sighs> – like egotistical on the defensive side of the ball. And they're just like, I'm going to take over this game by myself and I don't care about anybody else. And it actually kind of hurts them on the defensive end. Cause they can get a little, they can get a little, a little lackadaisical when they really want to though. I mean, you could, you could see it. I mean, they don't have a bad defender on their line in their lineup. And, and obviously Mitchell is, is getting a ton of hype right now because of his, you know, just the, the juice and the kind of energy he plays with on, on really both ends. Um, when they lock in and they kind of load up defensively, they are still, I think, as good as anybody.
0: Uh, Yeah, another player I want to touch on, Macy Oteague had a great game. I, and I, did, I didn't notice this until this game against Arkansas, but he's got such a weird hitch in his shot. Have you noticed this?
1: Yeah, it's like – it's kind of like – remember, it kind of reminds me a little bit of – um like Kevin Martin back in the day. Yeah, I remember watching him with the Timberwolves. Shooting it from his hips. Yeah. He'd bring it up from his hip. Teague kind of does the, he doesn't quite bring it from the opposite hip, but like, yeah, it's like he stops at his hip and then he just like, it almost like he, I'm like motioning the shot for some reason, sitting here on my couch. He like, he like
0: (laughs) for, for those listening, Biggs is basically doing a volleyball set is how I would describe it.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like setting it. Exactly. That's, I feel like that's how he shoots. I don't know. Uh the kid could score though. Man alive. I mean, he can I mean there were there were a number of times and and I do think if there is a weakness on Baylor, um I think their two guards are like almost too good at creating their own shot and they get a little dribble happy. They get a little isolation happy, I think, and and the ball kind of stops moving. Uh, when the ball moves, it's it's Gonzaga esque where it's they're tic-tac-toeing around and, and a guy like when T gets somebody to set him up for an easy shot, I mean it's it's money in the bank. The the kid's a sniper when he gets an open shot and he can load it up.
0: Uh and yeah, we Arkansas, like we talked about, you know, had that double digit deficit very early on, which is really the story of their tournament. All three of their wins, they had a double digit deficit, as many as 14, I want to say, through the first three rounds. And they had it again this time very, very early on, with about it might have been within the first five minutes they were down fifteen. Um and this time they just could not come back. They got it to within like four or five, but that was about all she wrote for them.
1: Yeah, and that's obviously not going to work, uh, you know, when you run up against a team like Baylor. When you get to the Elite Eight, it's hard to it's hard to make double-digit, mount double-digit comebacks because the teams you're trying to come back on uh, are generally difficult to put runs on. And that's the same thing with Gonzaga. It seems like both – I mean, Gonzaga and Baylor both kind of got out to just scorching starts in both their games uh, because of some weird turnovers. I mean, Gonzaga's turning over of USC – some of them were just kind of like mind boggling how they just USC kid would dribble the ball and, and Gonzaga was like, Oh, Hey, I'll just take this away from you. And now we're going to go get a layup. Baylor kind of similarly just took over the game in the first five minutes of the game and like put an end to it right there. It'll be interesting to see because both those teams do that. They're not going to do it to each other. Right. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine either of those teams is going to be able to do that to the other. Um, You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And so that's obviously, that's the, game we all want it's a game we lost out on so hopefully Monday night we're gonna find that out
1: yeah here's a question for you yeah. all right so we've got we've got our final four right we've got UCLA we've got Gonzaga we've got Baylor we've got Houston who we'll touch on how about are the teams that lost Michigan USC uh Oregon State and Arkansas which one do you think is the best setup maybe to get to a final four in the near future?
0: Just out of those four teams, the ones that lost. The four
1: teams that didn't quite get there. Yeah, the four teams that lost in the elite eight. Who do you think's best set up now to to keep to 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 make another run here next?
0: Michigan, I I think you know the transfer portal is looming over everyone right now. But I feel like do Michigan players ever transfer? I don't think they're going to lose much on transferring or transfer players. And they're also not a one and done factory. I do think Hunter Dickinson who is a freshman, will still be there next year. He needs some polishing. We, I was t- messaging my friend last night, and he, I was like, he does not have a right hand. No, he does not. He's, you can tell, he only wants to go left. He wants to go over that right shoulder. He needs to work on that, so I think he's going to be back. And then with the rest of the players, I think they have the best chance. And they just, it seems like recently, they're the team that always seems to make these deep tournament runs, even though they're, they don't have those five-star one-and-done guys.
1: That's a great point. They have. They've done – it's 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 obviously not entirely been under Juwan Howard's watch. You know, this is only his first tournament, which it's kind of easy to forget. This is his first NCAA tournament as a head coach, and they get to the Elite Eight, which is pretty impressive and, and also maybe a little bit eye-opening considering, you know, some of the things last night they did tactically probably, you know, their offense really went in the tank, and I and you wonder if maybe he could have – all some different stuff. I don't, I don't really like second-guessing. It's kind of like second-guessing offensive coordinators for, for football fans. They're all – it's weird to me. But um, except when it's a team I like, then my offensive coordinator sucks and I'm smarter than them. But, yeah, I mean, Michigan, you're right. They. they I don't think Dickinson's going to be gone. It's going to be – You know, the whole offseason is just going to be a giant clusterfuck because of how many guys – I mean, it doesn't count as a year of eligibility. So how many, like, good seniors decide to come back? How many guys, you know, enter the transfer portal? how many guys decide to test the waters in the NBA. I mean, that number continues to grow every year and every year guys keep trying to leave. But you know, the thing is like every, everybody's like, well, even if I don't get drafted, I get to go play in the G league. G league's kind of running out of spots, you know, because yeah. there's, there's only so many jobs, you know, if a hundred guys go 45, get drafted, um, you know, G league doesn't come up with 55 new, uh, 55 new jobs every year. Um, so you do wonder if how many guys are going to stay. does, does maybe Franz Wagner decide after after that game? You know, he, he's probably somewhere in the first round. Does he come back? I don't know. I but mean, even Mike then, Smith. they they have the players to reload. They do. They well, not only do they have the players, I mean they're gonna lose, they're gonna lose a handful of guys. I mean, a lot of those guys are seniors. Um, but you're right, Dickinson is like probably got all America written all over him going into next year. And then the recruiting class is stacked. And the transfer portal works both ways. You know, I think they're going to be a factor in the transfer portal. People are probably going to want to come play with Jawan Howard. He's done a good job of, you know, grabbing talent and proving he can, he can kind of mold teams together. I, I think that's a great one. Um Who do you think? I think Arkansas too, because of Musselman he's comfortable in this transfer kind of nomad kind of world we're living in with all the transfers I mean, he did it this year, piecing together, basically a roster full of just awesome transfers You look in and you look and watch, you know, some of these transfer portal guys, they'll, they'll name, they're down to, you know, they're down to their, their final four. And this is the school that's recruiting them. I swear Arkansas is in on every single transfer. I mean, they're, they're a machine on the transfer portal and their season just ended two days ago. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Arkansas is, is right back in that mix hunting transfers in a big way.
0: Yeah. Could be. And yeah, that transfer portal thing, that's going to be, it's a lot. Oh my God. You know, like the, uh, the gif from uh, the movie hangover, like with the blackjack and all the numbers floating around. His yes. head, that's, that's what the transfer portal is going to be like trying to figure out who's going where. And. Oh my God. Like when I do, like I do like these little cheat sheets for all the teams that you know about. I don't know how I'm going to figure out who's on what team going into next season.
1: Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be impossible. You're going to have to wait. I mean, just so long. Cause there's, there's over thousands, there's thousands of players already in the transfer portal. And we're not even into April yet.
0: Yeah, I heard someone say there's about 4,500 total Division One men's college basketball players. Today, earlier today, there's over a thousand people in the portal. That's a quarter of, of the players.
1: Yeah, it's a it's absurd, and yeah. uh, that's the new world we're living in. Apparently, that's the that's that's what players want, and uh, you know, for better or worse, that's the way it's going to be. So get comfortable with it because it's what's it's what's happening. And um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be incredible seeing how much turnover there is. And yes we've talked about it. Some of it, some of it, I guess I can understand some of it. I will never be able to understand, but it is what it is, but you know, which coaches adapt to it the best. And I I tend to think both those guys, Howard and Musselman, I think are are really equipped to do it. I don't know if Oregon state is ever going to be like a transfer hotbed or even like a talent accumulation hotbed. So it feels like this kind of run that they've just had is like a once every really long time kind of thing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not in the tournament, if they're losing a lot of their, their top guys and you know, who knows they weren't really supposed to be in the tournament anyway, which is what in part, what makes the tournament super fun is when these teams that, you know, you just wouldn't expect to do really well, come out of nowhere and, and go way further than they should. And I tend to think they'll probably drift back into like college level anonymity for a little while. You know, nobody really thinks about Oregon state
0: mm-hmm.
1: when they even think about the PAC 12 in general. Yep. Uh, And then who knows, with USC, you're losing the Mobley brothers, probably, at least the one that that really made them awesome. But that's another one. I mean, uh, you want to talk about when guys want to think about transferring, if you want to just go somewhere cool like California or Los Angeles, um, that doesn't sound so horrible. So I'm sure there'll be a factor in that game as well. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, this is something we we can talk about. Probably every episode. Let's save it for the off season though, bigs. Yeah, we good could, call. We got one re- more region to go to. Let's save that content for later. Otherwise, we'll have nothing to talk about later. Like that. Yes. Um. And the last region we want to look to is the one that Houston won. And I told you about this before, but this this is the region of defense this week weekend. And no games got above into the seventies. And Houston is the one that makes it out and into the final four. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they are the first team to ever make the final four without facing a one digit team a one digit seed
1: yeah I was looking this up a little bit earlier kind of doing the show prep the combined number I think of the seeds that Houston beat was like 48 mm-hmm. uh, and the other three teams were like in like the 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 mid20s maybe Gonzaga I think was like 32 or something because you know you beat a 16 seed if you're Gonzaga and Baylor and uh, you know your number is gonna get high pretty quick but Houston beat a 15 a 10 a 12 and an 11 (laughs) it's yeah. You know, and and, you know, you talk about, I don't think at any point in this entire season, have we thought Houston is a championship level team, right? Everyone kind of, I mean, we, we acknowledge that Houston is, is a good team. You know, they're really solid, right? They play great defense. They hit the glass. They do the Houston stuff. They're, they're really tough. Good team. I don't know if I've ever thought I close my eyes and I think, yeah, I can see Houston winning the national championship, but they're, they're in the final four. So it's like, you know, they got a shot.
0: Yeah. And it's been interesting cause they really lost arguably their best player. Um, in about, I think in December, Caleb Mills, he left, um, uh, to transfer, um, which is weird on his face. i I probably shouldn't speculate at all on that cause maybe some family issues. Um, but he transferred midseason to Florida state and uh, he'll play next year and everything.
1: Um, but they're still here in the final four. Yeah, I mean it's just it's 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 incredible how some of these things. I mean we talked about it with UCLA losing Chris Smith and and Jalen Hill and obviously, uh, uh, Dacian Nix, their point guard. The, you know, not losing him, but you know you you expect a five star prospect to enroll in your team, and then in the middle of the summer when all the other good point guard prospects are are off the board, now he goes, yeah, never mind, I'm not going to play for you. Uh, you know that can that can throw a wrench in everything. That throws a wrench in your plans, and, and nobody's going to be weeping for these coaches who make millions of dollars, but uh, that makes your job a lot harder. You know, it makes it harder for your team to to do well, and that they're successful with that is is incredible. Houston's in a similar boat. I mean, they lost uh, Fabian White, who who just came back to their team, coming off the bench. Now he was supposed to be a starting starting big man, kind of a double figure scoring caliber guy. He tore his ACL like super early in the offseason, I believe. If I'm not mistaken. He had a he had a big injury. He wasn't supposed to play this entire season and he's come back and he's given them solid minutes, but like, he's not, you know, a feature guy or a focal piece to their team. Um, they lost another guy named Nate Hinton, who was um, a solid piece last year for them who averaged, I think 10 or 12 points and, and was a, one of their top rebounders. He left to, he declared for the NBA draft and he goes undrafted and nobody thought he was going to get drafted. There was no chance he was going to get drafted. He left anyway. That's a player that that's the type of player that when they leave, it's like that, that hurts everybody knows Zion Williamson is going to leave for the NBA draft uh, after his first college minute. They're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, this guy's not going to be in college." These five-star players, they enroll in college, and you expect, you know, barring something really, really shitty happening, this is a one-year thing. It's the guys like like Nate Hinton, who averaged ten or eleven points, who are who are quality college players who are never going to play in, in the NBA, who leave, and it's like that that can that can wreck a lot of programs, and it didn't wreck Houston, and they just kind of kept on plugging. Caleb Mills, to your point, was. They the preseason player of the year in the American conference. And, um, you know, he bails after like four or five games. And here they are. They get to the final four. They're a high-quality team anyway. And it's just – it's impressive. And, and I know, you know, everybody talks about like these these coaches who instill this kind of culture on, on different teams. And that, I think, is is the sign of just a high-quality program is, is when you're able to just kind of rinse and repeat and replace guys and, and you just you, – you develop and, and new guys kind of step up. And I don't think Caleb Mills was like, I don't know if he's like a top 50 player in college basketball. He's okay. You know, he was good. He was good as a freshman. He was really good. But I don't know if, I don't know if the second he transferred, I I don't think what's amazing is that I don't think like, I don't think anybody's opinion of Houston really even changed. it's like, okay, well that sucks, but they're still going to be really good. And they were. Yeah. And as far as
0: this team's identity, you know, they really, they don't win pretty. Um, Gorham is another post player undersized. He's only six, seven. Um, but he's just, uh, yeah, I was just about to say he's a beast in the middle. He averages nine point nine rebounds a game. And then DeJon Jero is another play I want to highlight just because he's sort of, he's sort of the forgotten player as far as the backcourts. Um, but just sort of their do it all guy. He averages about 10 points per game, but he's sort of overshadowed by Grimes and, um, Sasser. Um, but like out, I, I don't know college puts out plus minus stats. He might have the plus best plus minus out of those three. To be honest,
1: yeah, I, I think I said it on our last spot. I, I don't care what he scores. I I feel like he's their best player. I yeah. mean, I know Grimes is going to be the guy that when they when they need to get a shot, you know, he's the guy that that takes the big shots and, and generally he makes them. You know, he's a pretty good scorer. I think Giro is their best player. I think he's their most important player. I mean, he's outstanding defensively. He's I mean, he locked up Buddy Beheim. My guy, buddy, put him on lockdown. For- yeah, let's
0: talk about that. Like, what happened? He's,
1: I'm got 12, 12 points
0: amazing. on three of 13 shooting.
1: Yeah, and, and I, you could have seen that coming, right? I mean, Houston's defense, does it surprise you? I mean, Houston's defense is just so good. And and Giroux doesn't give him anything. And then he did the same thing to to Stephen Thompson for, uh, for Oregon State. I mean, the guy who's averaging over 20 a game pretty much throughout the entire tournament was awesome for Oregon State. Juro just locks him up. I mean, the guy is just, he's got, he's kind of just like leaving a graveyard of these quality scorers in his wake. He's been terrific. I mean, he's just, he's so good defensively. I mean, he's long, you know, I mean, he's six, five, and I don't know what his wingspan is, but I bet you it's at least three inches taller than his height. He's great. And you know, he's, he's not going to score a ton. He gets you like 10 points a game, gets you maybe five or six rebounds, gets you four, five, six four or five, six assists, but his, just his impact on winning is just, it's so high. And, and I know that's never going to stand out for just like casuals who only look at, oh, who scored a lot, you know, uh, who who grabbed a lot of rebounds. He, he, you know, he does a little bit of everything, but like he's their best player. And like he, I, I feel like he just like, he like the perfect, he, when you just close your eyes and envision like a Houston basketball player, I feel like Giroux is that guy.
0: Um, but yeah, and then there's only really only one other game. And that Loyola Chicago game, we talked last week about how. Um, with Crutwig, you know, he's just that man in the middle the other guys just rotate, um, rotate around him and try and get easy layups. But I feel like it's just tough to do that against a two, three zone, which is what Oregon state was playing.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought that as well. I thought kind of going into the game, I was like, you know, I could see, I could see a zone kind of really throwing this team off a little bit because so much of their offense is kind of that smoke and mirrors orbiting around so much passing and cutting. Well, you know that can that can really trip up a man-to-man defense, and a lot of these college teams now they they do a lot of switching, and and you know that just invites a lot of miscommunication. and Are you going with him? Am I going there? Where am I going? We both go, and, and all of a sudden you got two guys chasing one guy, and the other guy's making a layup. Yeah, when you have a zone and these guys are are attached to just one area on the floor, uh, somebody cuts through, you pass them off to the next guy, and and they're in their zone, and huh? um, you know it makes a lot of sense, and and part of it was just. They couldn't buy an open shot. I mean, they missed a lot of open shots. Well, that's
0: not their that's not that's not their MO. They're not a shooting team. They're a No, they're not. They're not, they're, a, a, they're
1: not a great shooting team. They're
0: a layup line team. I mean, if you use the term differently, layup line like you use is like dunking during pregames. They're a layup line team in that they score based off of easy layups.
1: Yep. Yep. they off their offensive design is just designed to create open looks for them with all their motion and it and it gets them open shots, but but yeah, you're right. Against a zone, you know, you'd think like in theory, I guess you'd think Krutwig, if you're to design a, build a guy in a lab who's like perfectly built to like operate in the middle of the floor of a, of a two, three zone. You know, we always want kind of that big skilled guy who can pass. He's perfect, but yeah, you're right. They just, they don't have, they don't have a lot more to that. And that game was, that game was tough to watch. I mean, just yeah. it was kind of ugly and it was really gross to watch. You know, neither team could just make a shot, you know, for a really long time. It was a really low scoring game and I, I, I'm i this is kind of a boomer take. I actually like watching teams play some defense. I do enjoy watching teams give a crap on the defense end of the floor. Um But even I had a hard time watching that one from the, from the, just the lack of from shot making, you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty ugly and I feel like that's all we should spend on that one. Yeah. Okay.
0: We're done. So yeah, that, that recaps, uh, that region bigs. And so we have a final four set Houston against Baylor and UCLA against gonzaga that'll tip off at about i think it's four o'clock central time on saturday and continue on into monday and so you know we'll be back um we haven't decided when we're gonna do our next show for sure probably have it out friday morning i'm thinking um so we will see you then peace